This is the Souls of San Francisco podcast by Souls of Society. I'm Dijon, founder of Souls of Society. Each week, we connect with a member of our community to hear their story and get to know them better so we can strengthen our community bond. Welcome to today's podcast of Souls of San Francisco for Souls of Society. I'm here today with Jackie Mostmi. Hello, Tijan. Uh, Jackie and I met through a mutual friend at T-Oasis when it was still around, and we immediately clicked, and I just fell in love with her personality and her smile and her warm spirit and her bright, sultry voice. Um, So really, based on that alone, I decided that I wanted her to be a part of Souls of Society and, and help grow it into what it is becoming because I personally base my decisions on energy and her energy feels great. So that's why I had her on tonight. So would you like to introduce yourself, Jackie, and say where you are in your life or what's present in your experience right now? Sure. Uh, Hello, everybody. This is Jackie Mossy. I am born and raised here in San Francisco, and I'm currently sitting in San Francisco. Um, I'm 25 years old, and it took me a couple years to leave my home, only to return with some fresh eyes. And I have recently decided to make a big change in my life and work in the medical industry with um, patients who are suffering from STDs and HIV and infectious diseases. And I'm learning about a different kind of side of life. Uh, It's not as sexy as some of the other jobs offered here in San Francisco, which I understand can be very alluring for people all over the world. I'm working with an incredible group of people. I get to leave work and have my own time and space. And I get to make room for the things I care about, such as this project, Souls of Society. And I'm excited on where things are going. Recently, Souls of San Francisco just became part of the San Francisco Chronicle. That was earlier this week. So we're excited to have the vibration spread even further. And coming up shortly will be the four-year anniversary of the project, so Jackie and I will have some wonderful things in store for you guys. So I feel like it's rare that we meet people in San Francisco that are born and raised in San Francisco. Um, What's your experience of the city like, you think, compared to transients? Um... I've seen a lot of things change, much like anyone who's been here for longer than five years. I don't think it's all bad. I think that the city on the whole has become a lot nicer. It's become safer. There's more cafes and restaurants and uh, nicer infrastructure and public spaces. So you can feel more comfortable walking around and really enjoying different neighborhoods. Parking's a bitch, (laughs) more so because more people are driving. Um, I had to remember, teach myself, remind myself that the people moving to San Francisco are really bright, are choosing the city. They want to be here. They're excited by it. And they want to make it their home, even if it's for a short amount of time. Uh, And... I think those are great things. I definitely went through a phase on not being very welcoming to transient folks or new newcomers, but I've had to change my attitude because I too love to travel. And I'd go to new cities and, you know, arrive and I'd be welcomed by the local people. They were so excited to have me there and I was so excited to get to know them and get to know the space. And I feel that whenever I come home and visit San Francisco, I didn't reciprocate that. And it wasn't fair and it really made my experience abroad incredible. Mm. So I think having a more positive, open-minded outlook towards 
uh, my new neighbors is important, um, but I think some of their ignorance can get annoying. <laughs> Not knowing how to treat people, changing the culture without realizing it. Um, yeah, being maybe ignorant to the history of where they are. Right. Um, be it a street, be it a neighborhood. Yeah. So you were saying that you lived many places abroad. Where have you lived? I've lived in Buenos Aires in Argentina and in Tel Aviv in Israel. Mm. And why those places? Oh, wow. Uh, Buenos Aires has an amazing energy, incredible nightlife, incredible restaurants, cafe culture, and uh, they really take advantage of public spaces. Tel Aviv shares that as well. Buenos Aires has uh, plazas, which are kind of like parks during the day, but at night there are these open squares where people can hang out. There's bright lights. Maybe there'll be local artists presenting their art. Music will be played. And on the block surrounding kind of the inner circle of the plaza are restaurants, bars, and cafes. And people are really encouraged to be out and enjoy the city and meet new people and look at people and talk to people and engage um, more so than I've seen in America where it's really focused on where you are and where you're going and not kind of stopping to engage around you. Uh, and it was amazing to be a part of that. And I wanted to be able to really be immersed in a place where I could speak a different language in a lot of other uh, places I've been to, if the locals know English, they revert straight to that. One, so they could practice, and two, to make kind of my experience easier. And in Argentina, that wasn't as much of an option. Uh, not a lot of people spoke English, so I really had to learn Spanish, which I loved. I think Castellano is a beautiful accent. And um, it's a stylish place. And it, I think, attracts a really amazing expat community. There's really great people from all over the world who've moved there. And I think Argentines have a really rich culture, uh, really wonderful food, really wonderful agriculture, beautiful geography. And regardless of their politics, really good family-oriented people who mm. really love where they're from. Mm. And it was amazing to be a part of that. And I was lucky enough to move there while I was in college and then move back after I finished school. And it was an explorative time for me to engage in arts, cooking, dancing, uh, travel, and creating a home for myself outside of my default home of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like New York, D.C., L.A., all in one spot, but it's its own thing completely. Sounds pretty epic. Yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah, I would love to go to Argentina. The closest experience I've had with Argentinians was I went to the World Cup last year mm. in the Netherlands, played Argentina in uh, the semifinal game, and I was like right there. Crazy. And they were like, <laughs> they're crazy, yeah. And then like the, in the coolest way, like just super passionate. They were just like screaming, yeah. but like so intensely, you know? The best part, I, I guess, by, I became a fan of River Plate. In Buenos Aires, there's two teams, La Boca and River Plate, and they're huge rivals, and like there's to be police escorts when fans go to each other's stadiums because literally people get killed. It is nuts. Um, it's also an awesome, really fun part of the experience, and each uh, soccer team has its own songs that they sing. We in America and baseball take me out to the ball game, but every baseball team sings that song, and in Argentina, each team has a Rolodex of like 30 songs that they know by heart. They all stand up and chant together <laughs> during the game the entire time, arms in the air. Do you, have, do you know any? Uh, I know the beginning of one. Sing the beginning of one. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can talk for hours, but singing might have to be podcast number two. <laughs> um, Fair enough. It's wonderful, though. It's a really fun part of being there. There's um, Their pride in their teams is really beautiful. It's passed down like family to family to family. Uh, it's like changing religions if you switch to the other team. Mm. Like maybe you could be accepted by your family, but it is a like huge blow <laughs> to like literally your lineage. Um, that was wonderful. That was really fun. 
I am glad I didn't go to the World Cups because I know how some of these fans are, and it's a lot. Yeah, they were super intense. I heard that River Plate fans aren't allowed to go to World Cup games, and if uh, police see a River Plate uh, jersey, they have to be removed from the stadium immediately because of the reputation. That's quite a reputation. Yeah. Uh, It's funny. On the way to games, there's a school bus full of hooligans, and it is these, like, crazy, intense, riled-up men who are just screaming outside of this moving school bus that's police-escorted because they are the ones to, like, start it off. Mm -hmm. They have, like, live bands playing. It is fun. There's amazing music. In Brazil, the games have samba the entire time, just, like, keeping it going and... Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a really fun spirit. I love it. Yeah, I would love to check it out sometime. There's lots of places in South America that I want to go. Yeah. Peru, obviously more time in Brazil, Argentina sounds great. I have friends from Chile. Yeah. Um, so how long were you in Argentina? Uh, the first time I was there for around six months, and then I moved back for another four. And then from there to Tel Aviv? No, and then from there I went to Brazil. I was backpacking through Brazil. Mm-hmm. I went uh, as far south as Florianopolis and as far north as uh, Salvador Bahia, which honestly isn't even that far north. Brazil is huge. It's like the size of the U.S. So there is a lot of ground to cover. Um, And I was traveling alone as a young girl, very optimistic young girl. And I think that optimism put in a good energy for me to stay safe, Mm -hmm. find good people, find home, find family, find friends, which I did and I'm thankful for. Uh, don't know if I would do it again. Would never take back that experience, but I don't know if I would just go off and do that. I'd probably go somewhere else. Yeah, I feel like the things we do when we're younger, it's like that's, that's when you start to realize that you're not as young as you used to be when you like think twice about something. You're like, mm, I don't know if that's a good idea. Yeah. Whereas before, you just kind of like dove in. Yeah. Yeah, like today I was talking to a friend of mine who's really, who is moving to Tel Aviv. She said it out loud, she's affirmed it, but there's still doubt in her mind. And I don't really understand why she doubts it so much. Like, you want to go, you should go. You've started working right after college. This is your chance to quit your job and be free. You've been saving money. You know, where's the set, like, why a second thought? And then it just occurred to me that other people, um, don't live as like open-minded or they're afraid of what happens when you get there and when you either don't know people or it's a new culture or it's a new place and outside of America people don't plan as much you get to a place and then you figure out where you're going to live and what you're going to do and you know kind of settle it out then to do all the planning ahead of the job and the apartment and this and that I think is a very American idea Um, and it doesn't really coincide with how other people and culture and life works you know you have to walk into something with your arms open to receive the hug Hmm. is that something you feel like you learned when you were there I think that's something I just learned from a young age with my life you know Hmm. Uh, just say yes principle number one of improv which I've been doing for years and started as a child and always enjoyed it and went into it more in college there was an incredible class I took um, called improvisational leadership where you talked about the soft leadership skills you build by playing improv games how to create empathy for others because you can play out their characters and how to build rapport because you meet someone on the same level that they're at Um, And saying yes and being open and if you have a good attitude and good intention, that is read really quickly. And I think that's what allowed me to have some really great opportunities uh, when I could have been really screwed. (laughs) Uh, So I'm really thankful for that. I think there are so many good things about improv and it's actually a wonderful tool to help people learn how to have conversations, you know, like it's the yes and, you know, like you never refute what someone's saying, which is, I guess, kind of like Tai Chi-ish, you know, like you don't block energy, you know, you receive it, or if you really don't enjoy it, then maybe you can redirect it, but it's never like a hard stop. It's yes and, and then you add to it, and 
people continue to be tolerant of each other, and I feel like that's a good way just to interact in general. Yeah, another rule of improv is always make your partner look good, mm. which coincides with the yes and, because if you say no, you're blocking, you're ending, you make them look bad. It's like saying, that was stupid, no. <laughs> so you, even if it's yes and we're doing something totally different, uh-huh. you're still encouraging them, and you always want to make them look good because it empowers people. Right. You know, if they feel that they're being supported, they can really be their best selves. Mm-hmm. They can really shine. They can really show you their potential. And you have to give them the opportunity to do that. And so many times I see people shutting each other down, especially if it's an unhealthy relationship. I think that's the easiest kind of trigger to it is the moment someone shuts someone up before they even finish speaking wow, <laughs> there's trouble in paradise. Right. I hope that I never reach that uh, myself. And it's something you just have to be cognizant of. You know, I think uh, improv and travel and experiencing life outside of your comfort zone can give you appreciation for just the simplest things such as like seeing a friendly and familiar face. Right. So, from Brazil, then to Tel Aviv? Yeah. Okay. Um, I left Brazil. I came home to San Francisco to do my laundry. <laughs> I was back for four days, and then I moved to Tel Aviv, uh, where I was lucky enough to have some friends living there because when you live in South America, Israelis are traveling after the army all over South America to Argentina, Brazil, Peru, Bolivia, Chile, Colombia, you name it, they're there. And in the two times I was living down there, I got to meet a lot of really wonderful Israelis. And the moment I got to Israel, they were just calling me and reaching out to me and inviting me over for Shabbat dinner or shakshuka, which is this amazing kind of tomato omelet that I just love. And uh, stay at their home to help me find a place to live. It's incredible. Um, It was so welcoming and I felt like I was already at home. Once I got there, let alone the fact that I had a couple good friends from America that were living there at the same time. And I was just excited to be there. I never really spent time in Tel Aviv before I moved there. So it was cool to experience a new place. I moved there in June when it's summertime and Tel Aviv is on the Mediterranean. The beach is beautiful and it was a very attractive group of people. There is fresh fruit everywhere. Um, also very strong cafe culture. The city is lined with beautiful boulevards that have a walking path, a bike lane, beautiful flowers and trees in the middle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's wonderful. It's very inviting. That sounds pretty epic. I think that's on the list for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You love it. So now that you are back, do you have kind of like a grander perspective of maybe your sense of like purpose or all the things you gleaned from those experiences and how you're going to integrate them into your new life here in San Francisco? Yeah, I think, I think that, well, big thing I came with was how do I rediscover San Francisco with fresh eyes, you know? And one of the things is finding neighborhoods that I really resonate with that I never explored when I was younger. So right now I'm living in DeBose Triangle, which growing up here, I never knew about, I never went to, it was not on my radar at all. And the mission has severely changed in the last decade. So getting to know that neighborhood and even the Castro and the Lower Haight, which is pretty much where all my close friends have moved to, I feel like I'm in a new city at times, you know, I'm surrounded by Victorian homes, which... Where I grew up, there weren't that many Victorian homes, more Edwardian style. Um, And I guess I'm having more of a classic San Francisco experience than being a preteen riding the Muni, which in some ways is a classic San Francisco experience. You know, I would watch Sex and the City when I was 15 and feel (laughs) empowered by Carrie Bradshaw exploring New York by herself. And I would say, I'm going to explore San Francisco by myself. And I would. I would go to galleries and museums and I'd get on the bus and I'd walk around and 
all my friends lived in different neighborhoods, which was awesome. Um, but it also made me envious of people who live in suburbs where their friends are close by. Mm-hmm. Everyone's friend had to coordinate a carpool to see. You can't just go there. Right. And you can't just show up at someone's house in the city per se. You always had to plan in advance. So I feel that um, it was a different experience. Yeah, I mean, when I see kids now in the city, you know, I think how different their childhood is than growing up in the suburbs or even growing up where I'm from in Atlanta. And I'm like, you have to, your mind has to be processing so much information, you know, just to get around or the culture and the people. Um, but I think it ultimately makes us much more cultured, you know, and, and able to operate on a, you know, a different frequency than, than you'd be able to otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's um, tough for me in San Francisco versus Argentina and even Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv is diverse, but for the most part, uh, culturally homogenized because a big percentage of the people there are Jewish, even mm-hmm. if they're from all over the world. Buenos Aires, it's like you're Argentine, or there's like a few kind of sprinkles of expats in there. And here, everyone is from somewhere else. Right. Even if you immigrated to the U.S., then you're immigrating to San Francisco. Or you came to be in a very small pocketing community. And what I've seen is that it's not really people haven't really come together it's still pretty segmented you know even where I was growing up and going to school it was like nice and white and affluent and you walk down the hill and then you're like in the ghetto and it's African Americans and it's not like the communities are coming together even though they're next to each other they're not Clement Street sits next to California Street and Geary Street and Clement is Chinese, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really trickle off in the streets around it. It feels like a different world when you're on it. Mm-hmm. Then there's Chinatown. You know, then there's like more of an Irish neighborhood out in the sunset, or else, I mean, it was, I guess, before global warming hit. Now the sunset is like a beautiful surfer community, and that also has changed a lot. Um, but people weren't really mixing. Mm-hmm which is what really frustrated me. It's not like we shared something because we were all from San Francisco. This is just all where we happen to be. And I feel that other places I've been, we all shared something because we were in that place. Uh, It seemed more of a choice or more of a purpose. And I think now with a lot of people coming in for the tech world, they're coming in with the intention of, I'm choosing San Francisco. I want to be here. I'm meant to be here. I'm trying to integrate with the city. And even the advent of Lyft and Uber helps people get around in the city and go beyond their neighborhood. Right. Which I've heard good and bad things from people, you know. Some people are like, gosh, like now people from the marina are going to the mission. It's like, okay, whatever. But it's also saying that like, you know, you could leave the boonies of the Richmond district and go hang out downtown or Lower Haight or wherever you want to go. Right. Um, Alamo Square was the hood when I was younger. And it is a beautiful affluent area now where all of the homes have been renovated and rent is up the yin-yang. Uh, Western edition is now called NOPA. Hello. I didn't know what NOPA was. My friends were graduating from college and they're like, oh, we're moving to NOPA. And I'm like, what? What yeah. area is that? Yeah, I think that that is a whole different conversation um, <laughs> that many of us have had in San Francisco um, about the gentrification, so we don't need to have it right now. Okay. But, um, <laughs> I will ask, now that you've come back and you're cultured and experienced these different things, as a woman now, you're not like the preteen on the muni. As a woman now, what do you feel like your gifts are that you have to offer to your community? Um, connecting them to each other. I think that I'm so lucky that I have friends here in San Francisco that are from different parts of my life. And they mean a lot to me. And I care about all of them. And I really want to share my experiences and what I'm doing here in the city with each other. You know, I don't want to segment them. 
the way I might in my mind based off of the times we've shared together I really want to be able to unify them um, and engage with them and be supportive I think a big part of me being a friend to someone is being supportive and encouraging of what their experience is and what they're up to and be really a cheerleader uh, because cities are lonely and it's easy to just go to work and maybe do one thing after work and then go home and I want to be able to engage more learn with my friends I know that I really miss being in more of a structured class and I do things where we can grow together since now we're not at school we're not living in a co-op or a sorority or our apartment with like five of us right uh, I really want to keep that going, and I see myself as um, an enabler. Yeah, you're a nurturer. Yeah. Yeah. So do you feel like that's your innate way of being, or do you feel like you were specifically influenced by anyone to be that way? Mm, no. I feel like I've always wanted to participate in things to bring people together mm. and to use my voice to speak up and make the plan and put in the action and put in the intention. Um, and I've definitely learned from other people. I think Camp Tawanga, a uh, really wonderful summer camp that I've been a counselor at in Yosemite, which is pretty much a bunch of city kids living in Yosemite, in the Redwoods, on Tuolumne River. Uh, we've taught, we've learned a lot about, um, really fostering and developing a community and even micro communities of our like bunks <laughs> within that but also as a whole mm -hmm. into how to create a culture and a really healthy culture and one that's based off of uh, healthy communication positive communication female and male empowerment and um, one that's fun mm. one that's fun one that's loving and one that really connects us in a relationship to nature, uh, removing the tech and the distractions and going in to where we are, soul to soul. That's beautiful. Um, I would imagine that, you know, all this travel, you know, changed you as a person, obviously, and put you on a somewhat different trajectory than people that maybe stayed here whether that be friends or family, you know, like when I go back to Atlanta, for instance, um, that's always a good barometer for kind of how far I've come, right? Like even things as simple as like what I'm eating at the time, like for instance, as you know, since we just shared a meal, um, I've been a vegan for about a little under two weeks, I guess. And coming to people with that idea, like why I'm choosing to live that way and there's numerous ways that I have changed my life, but that is like a conversation, right? Because your grandmother makes collard greens, which you love, but she cooks them with ham hocks in it, you know, and you're just like, or bacon or something. You're like, well, I'm not, you know, I don't eat that now. You know, people are like, well, why? Right. And, uh, I know my family, they usually don't argue with me, but they'll like, listen, they'll be like, okay, <laughs> okay. So what has your experience been like with people that maybe you like connected with before and then came back and reconnected with and you were different or your family? Like what was reintegrating into the city like? Yeah. Uh, I have a strong belief that like a true friend is one that you can spend time and distance from and you can come right back and be right back with them. Mm -hmm. Have, you don't even need to have a catch-up. You can just talk about your day and kind of carry on. I'm really lucky to have had that. Um, for me, I've connected more with my friends I grew up with than um, maybe some of my college friends who live here based off of the fact that um, I'm home and I'm in the city and that means something kind of unique to me and the people that I can really share that with are the ones who are having that similar experience um, and I miss them you know we just spent college apart and then I lived abroad for three years it's like I really want to be with my people and um, 
they're, they're the homies, you know, they're still here. It feels pretty similar. I was just uh, subletting one of my friend's rooms, living with three other childhood friends. And that's like what it was, boys and girls, you know, mm-hmm. I had memories with them from middle school. I was really lucky to make great friends in middle school. And um, that was really simple. It was really simple. Um, Friends from college, I love and I care about, and I definitely make time to see them. Uh, But they're really learning and creating their own San Francisco experience, which is amazing, and I want to see them through that. It's just a little bit of a different page, but whatever, it's all good. Um, My family... My family didn't even get that I was moving abroad. They just thought I was traveling on vacation. I'll I'll never forget it. It was like a month, two of me living in Tel Aviv. I was on the phone with my grandma. She starts kind of screaming and crying, saying, stop traveling and come home. The vacation's over. Come home. Come home. Stop. And I had to explain to her that I wasn't traveling, that I was living in another city, that I had an apartment that I'd unpacked my things that I was, you know, learning about what was going on there because I was looking for a job. I was really in a new place uh, to call home. I was home. And it took her a while to understand. She was very upset. And I even called my mom being like, oh my God, you have to go see grandma right now. She's really upset. And my mom just goes, don't let anyone guilt you. You're doing incredible stuff and you are living your life and you are free and you are happy and go. That's cool. So your mom has always been supportive of your expansion? Yeah. Um, She felt held back growing up for sure. She comes from a very traditional uh, Persian family. Mm -hmm. And it's not very traditional in Persian to move away from your family, especially if you're a young woman. And uh, she was really happy for me. And it took the rest of my family a while to figure it out. But even when I moved home, her and the rest of my family are like, okay, great. Like, the dream is over. Get a job. Get shit together. You're not here to, like, explore and enjoy life anymore. You're here to, like, get serious. Right. And I had to explain to her, if you're nurturing me my entire life to learn and engage and explore and be open and say yes, how could I just turn that off one day? Like, oh, it's okay until you're 24, but then you got to cut it out and act like an adult. It's like, mm, it doesn't really work that way. Um, which is why I'm grateful to now have found a job that actually, unlike what everyone thinks, isn't my passion and my purpose. It's a job. Fills my day. I wake up in the morning for it. I go to it. But then I get to leave and have my life back. And before, when I was working with startups and I was uh, working with the city of Tel Aviv and traveling around the world to go to tech events, My life was my work. My work was my life. I was kind of on call 24-7. It was really fun, but it was also really overwhelming at times. Um, And I like that I get to segment the two separately, you know. At first, when I got back from traveling, I'd run into friends. I didn't really make a big announcement about it. So I'd run into people who did not expect to see me, which is always kind of a fun, seeing that funny look on people's faces when you do saying, oh my gosh, you've been traveling the world, you've been doing all this stuff, I could never do that, you lived in all these places, I could never do that. And then I just asked them, you know, do you wake up every morning and go to the same place every day and go to work and, you know, sit at your desk and do your work and produce something? And you go, yeah, of course. They go, oh my God, how do you do that? Like, I can't believe it. I can never do that. And that's the kind of juxtaposition. And that's what was, that's what it was like to come back is that I was just somewhere else doing something else that at the time, because I did it right after school, a lot of my friends didn't have that opportunity yet. Now it's been almost a year and I've had friends leave and come back or just leave or whatever it is. And Um, They get it. I know there's a time and a place for that, but I was one of the first of my friend group to do that. So I was getting a lot of 
questions or people kind of sharing their insecurities mm. around having that type of experience. Um, but I had the same insecurities about settling down in one place and getting a full-time job and making real commitments. You know, I was at one point living a life where I didn't know where I'd be in a week or a month or six months or a day. And that is empowering and also frightening. Yeah. Um, and I, from the start, translated it to, this is a great feeling. And a friend in the beginning go, you know that really scary feeling of not knowing what's coming up? Yeah. It's like, make that feeling like the best feeling you can have. So when you don't know, you just think, yeah, I don't know. And it can really fuel the fire, which it did. But I'm so thankful now to come back here and try to create a home for myself. Right. Even though rent is impossible and picking and choosing a neighborhood is like, you know, ideal, but how realistic is it? Um, and it's frustrating thinking that I'm from the city and it's hard to stay here by choice. Yeah, I remember when I first moved to San Francisco and... Uh, we were walking around and it was fall and like fall is like the most epic time in San Francisco and it was just sunny and kind of like it's been now but now it's kind of based on global warming but it was just epic and sunny we were like going to Harley Strictly Bluegrass Festival and it was just like it was free and it was just like whoa it's like how does everyone not want to live in San Francisco and his answer was he was like because it's work you know like this is the the payoff but a lot of it is is work and I feel like figuring out how to navigate that vibration is, is challenging. And the way it seems to me is it's almost like a, like a record that's like spinning, you know, at an at a abnormal speed that's not unlike any other place. And you have to figure out like how to like get on in rhythm with that record. And if you don't, it kind of like chucks you out, you know. Um, but it's definitely a very particular rhythm. And even being here, I sometimes feel like burnt out or overwhelmed by it and like oh, I'm tired of San Francisco and then I go away somewhere and recharge and it's like the best place in the world to come back to it's just uh, it's kind of transcendent you know you hit it right on the head San Francisco is an amazing place to leave and an amazing place to come home because yeah. you'll travel and you'll meet people traveling and then you say well time to go home and you head to San Francisco and they're thinking that's part of my vacation route Right. You know, they're going home to not here. Um, and that was also one of the encouraging parts of coming home and being open-minded to new people beyond my existing friend groups was it is a sink or swim place. So the people that are here, you know, they have a purpose here. or yeah. They're killing it. Like, they're doing something that's keeping them here because... You learn how to hustle. you got to, you know... Even now, it's like, okay, I have my one job, which I love, but like, what more can I do to give back to the community and to myself? And like, can it also like help me professionally grow potentially, you right. know? Well, I think that's the thing is it's developing a deeper interconnectedness and a more symbiotic relationship and understanding that the energy we expend has to be like mutually supportive to you and to yourself because we're all interconnected. You know, this independently wealthy thing is over. It's, we're interdependently wealthy. You know, like if we share all our resources and our energy with each other, then we can collectively rise. That's beautiful. All right. So now that we've agreed on that and we're co-creating this souls of society, um, what is your vision? Maybe we're going to close our eyes for this part and you tell me your vision for the next year of Souls of Society. Great. Uh, I think really ingraining ourselves in San Francisco, um, being something that is seen and recognized by engaging in public spaces as far as cafes, galleries, events, kind of you name it, 
I'd really love for there to be a touch of people having an experience with Souls of Society, um, which could be a meeting with you, which means going to a place, which means seeing a photo. Um, and I want to take it way beyond photos, too, okay. and have it be really associated with an experience and a feeling and a feeling of connectedness and I really would like to have that expand beyond just me creating photography because there's so many talented people that I've been influenced by and I want to figure out a way where we can all share our gifts with each other and our perspectives. And I'm super grateful to have you vision this process out and any events that we've had that we have had together it's just been wonderful that you're you're welcoming energy and um, your presence you know I think maybe moving forward in the next year, focusing or creating themes that you and other artists and other members of our community can come together and put their energy and vision towards. You know, maybe embracing the elderly community where we run events to spend time with and have conversations with um, people at homes. Oh, I love that. You and others can take photos and have recorded podcasts or videos or paint pictures together and making it something where we're giving back. Uh, we can do something. Yes, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, we can do something with young mothers I love today when we were at uh, the cafe having that woman come in who you recognized as your previous yoga instructor, the beautiful baby, right, you know, hanging from her body, and you got to engage with that baby. I love babies. That baby was so lucid. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe doing something like that where we can come together and then also bring young mothers together to kind of foster a space for them to get to know each other and share whatever it may be. And then you could do a series about mothers and their babies. Mm, Wow, that is a fantastic idea. Yes, thank you. (laughs) This is why I wanted you to be a part of this. That is, wow. Um... We can do one focusing on, like, young men in their adolescence, especially in the beginning of high school. It could be a really hard, overwhelming time. Um, And even pairing them up with, like, strong women in their 20s. You know, when does that happen? And it could be a place for, like, honest conversation and development and, I don't know, a sharing space or an artistic space or whatever you want to create in that. Um, I think bringing in people in a similar plane, but maybe juxtaposing it with a different group, if it's fostered and executed properly. Mm. I'm only saying that because I have a 15-year-old brother who has a lot of questions about race, gender, sexuality, and... He might not feel comfortable sharing it with his friends or knowing how to act in school, but he'll ask me, you know? It's like I'm so kind of removed from his world that it's like a safe space, and he wants to know, you know, about asking girls on dates or how to be respectful or telling me times where maybe a girl turned him down and how his guy friends tell him right away, you know, she's just a bitch or she has problems, and it's like, No, she doesn't. Why does she have to be labeled these things, you know? Well, okay, so... 
and having a conversation where he can recognize and share with me, like, I don't think she's any of those bad things. So I, I, um, I'm a romantic, as you know. Yes. I'm sure most people that know me know that and know that I love love. Yes. Um, and I think I have a, a really good relationship with women now, and it's been a lot of trial and error. I remember when I was like in college, and 20 years old, and had no idea how to talk to to women, and probably like most 20 year old males or younger. Um, and I thought to myself, you know what? I, I don't have a clue now, but when I'm 25, I'm gonna understand this. And I don't think I understood it at 25, but now that I'm 33, I think I finally have a pretty good idea. Um, and for me, I would say. Um, recognize that women are in charge and that they're going to make the decision about whether or not they want to be with you. So what you have to do is, is be very observant of your woman or a woman that you're interested in and figure out what she likes, what she needs, um, just to routine and provide the things that she wants and needs and continue to do that on a consistent basis so that she knows that you're actually committed and it's not about like getting something. It's just about lifting her up. And once she really feels that, and it takes a while because, you know, women are more energetic beings than men are, you know? So it takes a while for them to feel that your energy is solid like all the way through not just at the surface layer but like all the way through to the other side and if they feel that and they feel supported then they'll choose you and they'll let you know that you've been chosen you know so um for me i found that that's what works and it puts me in a position where i can just focus on being like loving and like vulnerable through action you know and not necessarily having to declare my feelings, but like expressing them by being supportive and just seeing how that feedback comes. I know personally I kind of interact with with every woman as if they're like my partner. And that doesn't mean that we're like lovers necessarily, but just that they're like your best friend. Um, So that's what I got at 33. And it's nice. It's nice to be able to have that sense of, like, intimacy with, with people. And, and that's not just women. I mean, I'm a romantic. I'm interested in women. But I've been able to develop a deep sense of intimacy with people in general, you know. And essentially, I feel like what it comes down to is being able to see people and hold space for them to be who they are and express what they are, what they feel, without judgment or agenda, that used to be something I was only able to do when I was doing this project because I was like a, an observer. Like, I'm here to take your picture and observe. And then when I wasn't doing it, I would revert back to my, you know, more conditioned way of being where I have, like, desires and I expect someone to fulfill my needs and, like, all this stuff. And then the more I did this project, the more I realized that this was just an opportunity for me to understand this way of being and have it expand into my whole persona, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah. So maybe that's a long-winded answer for how to deal with <laughs> with women or how to deal with people in general, but... Or just have a conversation. I mean, for me, a big part of learning is to talk it out. I think when you're younger, you're scared of using your voice, so you suppress it, you build your own story, and then you just keep saying the story in your own mind really drive you mad and it can also teach you like the quote-unquote wrong lessons Um, and I know that I benefited a lot from having older friends when I was younger having friends in their late teens 20s 30s even now some of my best friends are in their mid 50s and it's because we see each other as people um, who've all shared rich experiences and We have similar interests, you know, and it doesn't 
age doesn't really have to define that, especially in this day and age where you could be really as old or as young as you want. Um, the internet and books and culture, you know, it's accessible to everyone. Um, I think that's important and should really be encouraged right now. Yeah. The communication. Communication is the, the essential ingredient, I think, for all relationships. I know I spent so much time when I was younger like trying to figure out what someone was thinking or thinking someone knew what I was feeling without expressing it instead of just, it's like you put your feelings out there in front of you. So I tell you how you feel. I mean, I tell you how I feel and you tell me how you feel and then we can like look at it together, you know. I know in my personal household and family, there was a lot of like tension and unsaid like energy, you know, like if people got angry with each other, you could like feel it, that there was like something not being expressed. Um, and occasionally it would, it might bubble over into like an outburst, but mostly it was just like a, a thickness of the air that you could like feel. Um, and I think I carried that into a lot of my like personal relationships. Like if I was upset, instead of saying simply I'm upset because this you know you just like give off this like intense mm. vibe mm. you know which is debilitating for just your relationship it just like makes it crumble yeah. um so yeah i would say that communication is a huge you know practice communication i remember a book nonviolent communication i have that's really good about identifying your feelings without projecting them onto someone else yeah i've heard that's amazing that's a good tool uh, we have our friend Newt, who you know is a mediator for nonviolent communication. Mm. It's awesome. I've been interested in learning more about that because the world is full of violent communication, <laughs> as we know. You know, it's like culturally embedded, or it's the way you're raised, or you know, not having positive outlets to share your thoughts and feelings. So maybe you're not physically violent, but Verbal abuse or just violent communication is you yeah. know, just as harmful. I think people don't realize how much violent communication is the foundation for physical violence, right? Like, if I say good morning, pretty good chance you're going to say good morning back, you know? If I say, go fuck yourself, <laughs> you're probably not going to say good morning or like... Yeah, unless I know you really Have well. a nice day, yeah. So it's just like people reflect to you the energy that you initiate and usually amplify it when it comes back, right? So if it has even the like slightest hint of violence, that can be like amplified, especially over an intimate relationship where these little pings go back and forth and maybe it's like three months later and someone's like... So I think that's probably enough for your brother to soak in <laughs> right now in relationships. Obviously the greatest teacher is experience, so uh, I look forward to hearing about his own experiences. Um, Rapid fire, lightning rounds to end the podcast. We've done this before, but everyone else hasn't heard it. Describe your ideal day. Oh. Um, my ideal day, waking up in a beautiful, comfortable bed with thick white down comforters all around me, uh, wooden furniture around, and um, me, my partner, and hopefully a baby in the bed, maybe some kids joining us, um, you know, some nice natural light coming in, and some kind of lingering time. It's always appreciated. To then uh, go into the kitchen and start making up something fun for the whole family to enjoy. <laughs> uh, which can include, you know, a plethora of fresh fruits and vegetables and waffles and eggs and who knows and opening up the outdoor windows to the backyard garden and sitting in the sunlight and enjoying the meal there and uh, getting ready to start our day, you know? 
getting comfortable and putting on beautiful, soft garments, and um, going on a hike, going to the beach, you know, engaging with the place that we're in, who knows where that could be. I'd love to have like trees around me, but there's a lot of beautiful places the world can bring us. And um, meeting good friends for lunch or later, you know, spending quality time with people that I care about that I could also enjoy with or without children or my partner. Um, having that time for myself would be great, but I thrive off of being with other people, so it could be me surrounded by people all day long, and I would still feel amazing about it. Um, getting an incredible bait good at one point would be beautiful. Having music playing, oh, that'd be a big part of waking up and making food in the morning is having good music playing. Um, and it continues, you know. I want to come home and light a fire and have someone that I care about come over and share stories of me and whoever else I'm sharing my space with. And um, candles lit, something comfortable, something beautiful, and something that I feel is sustainable, you know, that can create on my own and feel that if I want to have this day again, I can. It's not just once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, the way that some people's ideal day is flying to Paris and then flying to Greece and jumping out of a plane. Uh, my ideal day would be a day in the life. Yeah. Thank you. That's beautiful. I look forward to creating this vision over the next one, five years, ten years, lifetime, all that stuff. I think that's the wonderful thing about San Francisco is that people really do create things just out of out of thin air. Yeah. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> so I'm glad to be putting our intention into our dreams. Hope that everyone that listens to this amplifies that intention and we continue to build a deeper community where we all support each other. I'm so grateful to have you be a part of this journey. Thank you. Anything you want to share before we wrap up? Sure. Um, I think it's amazing how you've touched so many lives by using the tool of the internet. Um, but it's really fun for me to see you engage uh, with the people that you're making art with, you know? I love walking on the street with you and having people recognize you or you recognize people that you really want to capture their essence. You see something special. You see their soul. You feel an energy. You feel inclined to engage with them, and you do. Uh, I think that's so important. People walk by people every day without either looking or not speaking or thinking that they should, but they don't or thinking that they should and they do, but that's it. And you really take it that step further because um, it's flattering and it makes people feel good. It makes people feel special. And then you share it. And what's amazing is how positive the community is. People are writing really sweet and empowering and loving comments to support each other, to support your art. And it makes me feel really good about uh, humanity. And I hope it inspires others to do the same with whatever interpretation that is. And I really see this going around the world and I really hope that it can go around the world and touch more lives beyond those in San Francisco. So I, too, am excited about the next years coming up. I'm happy to be a part of it. I'm excited for the incredible people we're going to bring in and the many ways that this can morph and change and stay consistent. Who knows? Um, I'm excited to do it with you. I love you. I have respect for you. And uh, thank you for seeing something in me that you want to include on this incredible journey. <laughs> That's so nice. Thank you. I love you too. I feel like this is going to be an incredible time capsule to listen to in five years, in 10 years, you know. 
and just think about how the things we visioned sitting here after eating these white corn and <laughs> zucchini tamales with that arugula salad with pears and carrots and red peppers and apples that you made um, was just epic. We're just building so much epicness. Blue bottle love. Blue bottle love. Each of us with our beautiful glass blown engraved <laughs> bottle from Maui. Uh, it's good. We're living the good life. We're living the good life. And, you know, you have a beautiful home. I have a place that I'm staying at that I love. <laughs> and um, really settling in. I think both of us have taken 2015 to plant our seeds even deeper, have some, you know, little sprouts come out. And, um, you know, we're not spores flying in the air anymore. <laughs> we have some roots. Now. We have some roots and it's good. And it makes me excited about the future. So well I look forward to taking the garden with you. Yeah baby. <laughs> Until next time, thanks for being here. Thank you. Bright blessings. <laughs>